Okay. So this is Friday of Parsha Shlach. And we're continuing discussing the various gifts we're giving to God. This is chapter 15, chapter verse 17. God spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Upon your coming to the land to which I bring you. Now, this phrase, upon your coming, is very unusual. As Rashi says, generally, when in the Torah it speaks of things that are going to happen when we come to Israel, it says, when you come, when you will come. Kisavo, kisavo, when you will come. Here it says, bivoachem, upon your coming. Rashi says, therefore, we learn that the law we're about to talk about, which is a separation of the chala, meaning separating the dough and giving a portion of the dough that we actually call the chala of the dough, to the priest, of course, today we take off a symbolic portion and burn it, but in the times of the temple, they took off a very specific, generous amount and gave it to the priest as a gift of dough, of bread. So all other laws and rules that have to do with entering Israel, all are only applicable after the first 14 years that it took them to conquer and settle the land. Because in one, according one of the laws, using the term Kisava, when you will come to the land, it explains very clearly there about something that had to do with the kings, that this only happens after you conquer and settle. So, therefore, all other rules of Israel in which the Torah writes the same term, we apply the same concept. That it's only after the 14 years that it took them to conquer and settle. But here, it has different wording. Bivoachem, nakisavo. Therefore, that general rule that applies to every other law doesn't apply here. And therefore, as soon as they entered the land of Israel and they made a dough, they were responsible to separate a piece called Chala portion and give it to the priest, which I guess shows you the significance of the law of Chala, that all the other laws that had to do with Israel, we waited until you were like, settled, but not challah, you have to do that right away. And spiritually, we're told challah is very important, the commandment as we do it, even today, because it's as if with that first sin, God's challah, Adam, was messed up. And therefore, when we take the portion of challah, we take the most basic food, bread, and we take the portion and before we enjoy it, we give it to God, this is a general rectification for that comprehensive transgression. Maybe it's so important, we weren't going to wait 14 years on it. So, the next verse continues. It shall be that when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall set aside a portion for God. The beginning of your kneadings, you shall set aside a loaf as a portion, with a threshing for a portion, so shall you set it aside. So the beginning of your kneading means when you're going to need enough for your dough like you would need in the wilderness. So what they didn't make dough in the wilderness. Right. But the dough, the bread of the wilderness was the man. Just as we make the blessing on a slice of bread, 
or challah, hamotzi lechem min ha'aret, who brings forth bread from the land, and they eat the man in the desert, they would say, hamotzi lechem in who brings forth bread from the heavens. So the bread in the desert was the man, heavenly bread. Now the man was an omer. Omer, of course, is a biblical measurement, which, depending on which stage you follow, it's a dry measurement, and the modern-day equivalent is either from two and two-thirds to four and two-thirds quarts. So whatever that amount was of the Omer, which was how much man they received in their portion to eat daily, this is the amount of dough necessary to perform and need to do the commandment of challah, setting aside a portion and giving it to God by giving it to the priest. So the chala, which Rashi is translating into an old French word, which means like a small round loaf of bread. And the verse is comparing it to the portion from the threshing floor. Now, what's the comparison? This concept of portion of the threshing floor, there was no minimal amount stated. Meaning, this refers to the truma portion that the farmer gives from his annual crop to the priest. And the Torah specifies no minimum amount for it. So, there, as verses, the truma portion of the tithe, where a minimum amount is stated, meaning the tithe refers to the Levite giving a tenth of their tithe to the priest. That's the truma portion of the tithe. So concerning that, there is a minimal amount. Concerning the threshing floor portion that the farmer is giving to the priest, there is no minimal amount. So similarly, for the chala commandment to separate a portion of our dough, chala portion, and give it to the priest, biblically there's no minimal commandment. But the rabbis made a commandment, made a measurement, just as with the threshing floor, floor portion, meaning the obligation of the farmer to give a portion of his crops to the priest. Biblically, it's whatever you want. But the stages enacted minimal, more appropriate, generous amounts. So here, in terms of the bread, that you're gifting a part of it, the challah, to the priest, if you are making it for yourself or your house, and it's 1 24th of your dough given to the priest. If you're a commercial baker, then it's 1 48th, meaning the commercial baker is giving a smaller amount, but since he bakes much larger quantities, in the end, of course, the priest is still getting a nice amount of having only 1 48th. From the beginning of your kneadings, you shall give a portion to God for your generation. Why does it say from the beginnings of your needing? Because otherwise I might make a mistake and since previously in the previous verse it said the beginning of your needing, I might think it means the entire batch of dough, meaning if I bake bread three times today, the first batch goes to the priest. So therefore it says from the beginnings of your needings to clearly emphasize that you're not giving everything you're making to the priest, you're giving him a portion. You should give a portion to God Now, again, biblically, it's not telling us how much to give. We said the rabbi said 1 in 24 or 1 in 48. 
This way it doesn't give an amount, but it's saying you shall give, implying it should be a nice amount. It should be a gift of, of some nice significance. Okay, now that was one concept. Now another issue, sacrifice we're going to be discussing. If you err and do not perform all these commandments which God has spoken to Moses, so what is this talking about? So Rashi says this refers to the commandment of idolatry. Obviously, idolatry was included in all the commandments for which the public needs to bring a bow as an offering. But now the Torah takes it out of the general category of commandments to make it a specific and slightly different rule meaning besides the bull for the oil offering, that which is completely burnt, there's also a he goat that one has to bring for a sin offering. So if you err, so Rashi says this is talking about idolatry. Then Rashi says, how do I know that? How do I know that it's idolatry and nothing and not anything else? Because the Torah is comparing it to all of the commandments. In other words, saying there's this one commandment that's like all of the commandments combined. That just as if you, God forbid, intentionally transgress all of the commandments, casting off the yoke of heaven with all of the commandments, nullifying the covenant with all of the commandments, acting with such chutzpah, so brazen, with all of the commandments. So here there's just one commandment you're, you're defiling. But that one commandment you are not doing, it's as if, you cast off the yoke and nullify the covenant and acted so with such audacity. And this is, what's the one commandment that could be as bad as if you transgressed everything? Idolatry. That's what God spoke to Moses, meaning the first of the two of the Ten Commandments, I am God your God, you shall not have gods of others besides me. These two, everybody heard because God spoke them that the Jews could hear the two. The other eight, they've heard really only through Moses. But these two, they heard directly from God. Everything that God has commanded you through Moses from the day that God commanded and onward throughout your generations. Everything that God's commanded, this is telling us that anyone who believes in idolatry, God forbid, is like one who denies the Torah in its entirety and denies all that the prophets prophesy. Because it says, from the day that God commanded and onward, so it's saying, like, you're not, not only rejecting what God's saying in the Torah, you're rejecting onward. You're rejecting all other divine revelations, which would mean all the prophets. And it will be, if from the eyes of the assembly it was done by error, the entire assembly shall prepare one young bull as an oil offering for a satisfying aroma to God and its meal offering and its libation according to the rule and one he goat as a sin offering. As we mentioned before, here we have the two offerings for other issues, not idolatry, it would just be one. The priest shall atone for the entire assembly of the children of Israel and shall be forgiven for them. It was unintentional. And they have brought their offering, a fire offering to God, and their sin offering before God for their unintentional sin. So, it's, so the verse is saying, if it was done by error, the eyes of the assembly means the Sanhedrin, the ultimate tribunal court. 
So if as a result of the way Sanhedrin viewed the situation, this transgression was done in error, meaning we're talking about idolatry. It's as if the Sanhedrin had said, well, you could do this for idolatry, not that, you could do this. Then we, we, we are saying then that they would not, uh, so to speak, count. No, I'm sorry. I just said this backward. Sorry, one more time. It says, if in the eyes of the assembly it was done by error, the eyes of the assembly means the Sanhedrin. And by error means that the Sanhedrin ruled that something's permissible vis-a-vis idolatry that is forbidden. As Rashi is giving you the example, if they said, oh, this form of worship you can do for idolatry, well, you can't. You can't do anything. They made a mistake. Okay, that's when we bring this offering. So it says we're bringing the sin offering, and the word there for the sin offering for the sin is lacking the Aleph, the last word of verse 24, the so sin offering, lacking an Aleph. Why is it lacking the Aleph? Because it's not like other sin offerings. Because in all other sin offerings in the Torah, which are brought along with the Ola offering, first you have the sin offering to gain forgiveness for the sin, and then the Ola offering to make you even closer to God than ever before. It's a free gift. In this case, they first offered the Oluk, then followed it with the sin offering. Now the question is, why is it different here? So some commentators say, because usually we put the sin offering before the burnt offering because it's, it's, it's our forgiveness for God. Only after he accepts our forgiveness can we then give him the present of the Ola offering. But here, this sin offering is brought for the public, for the entire community. So God's anger here is not as great as if an individual did this sin. So therefore, the public can give him a gift even before going through the tshuva process. So that's the missing olive that indicating that even if the sin offering is missing, meaning it wasn't yet offered, the Ola offering can still be offered.